All right, everyone, welcome back to another roundup edition of On the Margin today. I am joined by my sunny co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko, and I'm giving you sunny for two reasons. One, you've been on vacation for two weeks, and you look, you've got some tan, but you also came back with a nice sunny disposition. So I feel like yeah, it's a great I, 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 I tell you, I, I might never come home. I, I'm sitting here in, in Lisboa, uh, Lisbon, and just the best two weeks. And it's the first two-weeker I've taken since... I launched Morgan Creek. So in wow. 2003, uh, 2004, 2004, you know, I quit June 30, took two weeks and then started Morgan Creek on July 12th. So it actually was 12 days. This was a full two weeker and it's, it's been amazing. So Spain from Barcelona down to Madrid, down to Granada, ground down to Sevilla, Sevilla over to Lisbon. And then we've done day trips from here. And the one yesterday we're going to talk about, I mean, I learned the entire history of the Knights Templar. And you know, remember we've always talked about how the Medicis stole the idea of fractional reserve banking? Yeah. I found out from where? From the monks at this castle, this monastery that I was at, physically at with the, the crosses everywhere. It's unbelievable. They invented banking here in, in Portugal. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. I would never I would never have known that. When, when was that all happening? That was the 1500s, 1600s? Uh, no, 1157 cool. to 1200. Wow. And, okay. um, no, it's just the, the history, it's amazing. I mean, the picture behind over there is, you know, Avenida Republica from, uh, uh, that I'm, I'm actually in the hotel right on it. Uh, that's from 1904, I think, 19, 1901. And it, it looks the same. And they have these amazing tiles, like the, the, the sidewalks are not cement. They're hand-laid stone in art. Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's just amazing. You know, while we're nerding out about this, this history stuff, they actually just recently within the last year discovered how Roman cement worked. And it actually has the way they were doing cement back in, you know, the early, you know, zero to you know 110 ad is it was a new technology it was actually an improvement on how in many ways on how we do cement today doesn't that just blow your mind oh no it's, it's unbelievable so you know you look i don't know if you, you won't be able to see it's not very good but you know that is white stones with black stones and there's a big piece of art just in the sidewalk down below the hotel room maybe it's just it's everywhere so anyway, incredible. So what's happened while I've been away? I mean, you, you've been rocking on with the show and we've been trying to yeah, keep up with, in your absence here. We've missed you. And uh, it's it's fitting that you come back this week because this is the week that Larry Fink. So we've had BlackRock file the spot ETF uh, application and that triggered a whole wave of different everyone from Fidelity to Invesco to Wisdom Tree to Bitwise. Many of these refiling because they filed applications in the past. And Larry Fink went on, I think it was CNBC this week and kind of did his first tour, you know, where he's uh, being yeah. openly being an advocate of, of Bitcoin. And, you know, some of the words that he used were it's a global asset and, you know, validates many perspectives of that the Bitcoiners have held for years. Uh, it's a hedge in, in many cases. And he just spoke very positively about it. And I wanted to get get your take on this because you've been long forecasting this as a, as a possibility. So, so he finally got permission from the Templar Knights, from the Freemasons. And so it's it's time now. And, and I'm actually not joking about that. I mean, it's they've been in charge for a long time. And uh, he finally got permission. And I said, all those other people refiling, it's a waste of time. He's going to get approved. They'll keep him the only one for a while to make sure it works and that he can get enough market mm. share. Um, but look, I, I actually went on the longest Twitter break since I started 10 years ago on Twitter, started in 2013. You know, I've been off for two weeks. I, I've only done one or two retweets. I retweeted him talking because I couldn't help myself. But I haven't posted anything in two weeks and I kind of miss it. Um, my wife says it's better that way, but uh, I will come <laughs> back. But um, look, when the largest asset manager in the world jumps in the pool, it, it's not like they're going to jump in and then the pool is going to drain. That's just not going to happen, right? So all of the, oh, it's going to zero. I don't know what Nuriel is going to do because it ain't going to zero. So yeah. Nuriel's going to have to change his tune. 
And, you know, Peter Schiff, well, some already owns it. So, you know, Peter Schiff will just change his mind. But um, I think it was inevitable because this is a technological evolution. We've talked about this over and over for the year, you know, over a year that we've been doing this. This is not, you know, witchcraft voodoo. It's not some magic internet money. It's just an evolution of computing power. And it's a better way to do gold. Mm. I mean, gold is great. Gold has been money for 5,000 years, but it's not very portable and it's not very divisible. And I can't break a bar in half and stuff it in my computer and send it to you, but I can hit a button and send you Bitcoin like that. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, a, I've got a more maybe tactical question for you here. So, you know, you mentioned that you thought that probably BlackRock was the only one that had a good chance of getting accepted. Usually the SEC, when there is this much hype about something, they don't like to kingmake in terms of the ETF issuer. So on the one hand, I can see, look, BlackRock is about as connected as you can possibly be. Their track record of getting ETFs approved is 575 to 1. To one. Uh, definitely like those odds. That being said, usually the, the SEC, they don't like to just approve one. Then they get they get implicated being a kingmaker in the market. So what do you think about the chance of approving multiple different ETF issuers just to not seem like they're tipping, putting their finger on the scale? That's true. And, and they did that with the futures, right? I mean, they right. did three, mm-hmm. essentially. And uh, I, I think you're exactly right. So I, it wouldn't surprise me that they they did give it to a couple others. Although I, I'm still leaning toward kind of what they did with with GLD, mm. right? There's no real alternative to GLD. Now, the other ones that have gold ETFs say, no, no, we have one. No, you don't. There's GLD and everybody else. And so, you know, maybe at some point they'll approve other ones. I, but the fact that so many of us have been saying, oh, you know, they're just going to approve BlackRock, Maybe they will do as you say. Oh no, no, that's not. You know, we'll, we'll do we'll do Van Eck too. I mean, they're they're a reputable, you know, group, and we like them. Um, but any of the newbies, look, and I'm invested in a whole bunch of them. I mean, I would I would love for Bitwise. I'm I'm an owner of Bitwise, a partial, small. Um, love I would love too. for them to get approved. I, I would love. I mean, Hunter is amazing. Hunter is a great guy and great leader and. Um, and Matt's a good guy. And so I, I would love for them to get approved. I would love for Arca to get approved. I'd love for the twins to get approved. Uh, they could use it They're You know, their business is struggling right now. So, um, but I'm going to stick with it's, it's BlackRock right now. And, and they're, you know, they're going to test it out. I, I, in fact, I'm going to say they're going to give it, I don't know if they can actually do this, but like a contingent approval. Like, a, you know, they, I don't think they can do a, a trial period, but that, that wouldn't surprise me if they said, oh, you know, we'll prove this for a while, but I think it's all or none. I don't think they can do that. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you there. Well, well, we'll have to see. I mean, I guess tactically, I'm sort of wondering what this means. There, there are a couple, you know, there are a couple things to mind when I think about a, an ETF being approved, which one, what ends up happening to GBTC and Barry's empire over at DCG? For those of you who, who might not be aware, uh, DCG is a company founded by Barry Silbert. And it's sort of this, this empire of some businesses which are wholly owned and outright subsidiaries of D- DCG, which are sort of picks and, struck, uh, picks and shovels infrastructure businesses. And then there's a pretty large investment portfolio. So uh, it, originally, it was Coindesk. They still own Coindesk. That's a media company. There's Luno. That's, a, uh, an, that's an exchange. There is Foundry, the mining company, and then there is uh, Grayscale, which is the they're the owner of GBTC, the closed-end investment product, and then there's also Genesis. Genesis famously got in trouble. They went bankrupt. They owe a whole bunch of money to a whole bunch of people. There are actually loans that pass in between DCG and Genesis itself. We could even talk about the, the twins. I saw Cameron wrote a pretty scathing open letter to Barry Silbert earlier this week. And so yeah. he's in he's in basically just a whole bunch of trouble. But GBTC is still the golden goose that's printing hundreds of millions of dollars in fees per annum. So then the question is going to be how much of Barry's empire does he have to sell off a mortgage or, you know, promise in a pact to the devil in order to, <laughs> to make it out of Look, this alive. He better he better sell soon because I unless he's closer to somebody 
in a high place. You know, I like to say you got to have friends in low places, people that are willing to do dirty deeds done dirt cheap, mm-hmm. um, to mix all my metaphors. But unless he has that friend, I don't think they're getting approved. And the value of GBTC goes down a lot once there's an yeah. ETF because people take it out of GBTC, paying 2% and go into the ETF. And I don't know what uh, BlackRock registered for, but probably 100 basis points, maybe something like that. I, I, I didn't look at the filing. Um, yeah. Hey, I, I just I just realized I didn't do a sock reveal. Well, one, because I have no socks. Um, I've worn socks like for two weeks. Um, if I were wearing socks, I would wear my Bitcoin bull market socks. So just to, just to be fair, I am. I don't have my orange pants on, but I do have some cool pants. I don't know if you, you probably can't see them. Uh, you can't really I can see get them. a little bit. Yeah, they have scorpions. They have scorpions. Mm. And you say, well, "Why scorpions?" So I had this friend. He, he told me I'm like the scorpion. I'm like, well, "What is that?" He says, "Well, you know, you're you're a little unpredictable, and and you know, it's the scorpion, the story of the scorpion and the frog out in the river." I'm like, I, "I'm not yeah. sure I like the way that ended." So, um, anyway, I, I he gave me these shorts, so I wear them around, but. I, I'm a, I'm a fan of the shorts. So I, I, I look, I, I think in terms of GBTC, I agree with you. I don't know how to handicap the idea that if an ETF becomes approved by something like BlackRock or something like that, that they would approve the, the grayscale filing to transition to an ETF. Maybe there's a world where uh, GBTC gets purchased by Fidelity or something like that. And they successfully make that transition. Now that, the- that is a good analysis. And mm. I think that's been offered, right? And Yeah, I've, I've heard rumors about price- that too. I'm sure the price is not what Barry wants, but I think if Fidelity were to do that deal, I think Fidelity would get approved. I don't think Barry's getting approved. I just don't. And that's, that's nothing against Barry. I, I, I've actually not met Barry. I know his brother. I, I don't. So I don't have any positive or negative view. I, that's not true. I have a positive view for what he's built. I admire mm-hmm. all his hard work. And, um, I don't admire what's kind of gone on in the last couple of months because I'm on the other side of it, but um, but I'm, I'm you know I have nothing against him, so I, I wish he would get approved. I he should have got approved first. That you know the conversion of GBTC to an ETF should have happened. It mm-hmm. should have happened a long time ago. And all the nonsense about oh the markets are manipulated. You mean more than the gold market, mm-hmm. Mike? Every year, there are fines for manipulation of the gold market. You mean more than the, the futures market in equities, which is controlled by big firm, which I shall remain nameless? You mean more than the options market? I Come on. So anyway. Hey, everyone. We'll get back to the show in a minute, but just wanted to let you know that we've got our permissionless conference coming up. This is the one that we do with Bankless. It is the biggest and best conference in DeFi. It's gonna be in Austin, Texas this year, September 11th through the 13th. If you've been in crypto for a while, you know that bear market conferences are the best conferences because those are the one that all the alphas at. This year, we've got a phenomenal lineup of speakers and the topics that we're covering are insane. We're gonna be talking about ZK Tech, rollups, account abstraction, MEV, app change, the whole suite of stuff. I cannot wait myself. So, because you're a listener of this podcast, you're also going to get a discount. Type in pods20 and you're going to get 20% off your ticket. Click the link at the bottom of this episode and go get it now because prices go up every two weeks. Yeah, I I, I mean, look, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that argument. And the there was a flurry, it's sort of a small technical detail, but there was a flurry of refiling, actually. BlackRock had to amend its its application and it listed Coinbase as its custodian. It also ended up listing Coinbase as its exchange. NASDAQ is the market sur- I'm not exactly sure what the wording is here, but they're the yeah. they're in charge of market surveillance to make sure that if there's any sort of fraudulent activity or whatever, people know where to, to go. And it's it's just funny at the same time that the SEC is be- that Coinbase is being sued by the SEC for being an unregistered broker dealer. They're they're also all BlackRock the Black Rocks of the world, and everyone and their mother is listing them as the custodian and the Well again, because so. Quality rules. At the end of the day, if you're going to come into this business, you want to operate with people who are good at what they do. And Brian and team are good at what they do. And the fact that they're too good, which is what pisses off the banks and exchanges, which is why all the heat is coming down against them. And 
you know, again, this this is a story as old as time, then we've talked about it over and over, is incumbents will get persecuted. Um, and, you know, because the disruptors aren't loved by the incumbents. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think, Mark, if let's just say these spot Bitcoin ETF applications were approved, what does that do in terms of demand for spot? For Bitcoin, because that's something that I've been trying to get a sense I, of. I think it's a big, big, big number, big, mm. like, like big, <laughs> like, mm. like you know, Julie Roberts in Pretty Woman, big mistake, huge. I mean, <laughs> big, big, big. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't even put a number on it. I mean, it's, it's in the, I don't know, hundreds of billions, easy, hundreds yeah. of billions. Um, I, I, I just, it's, it's a big number and the, and the, and the biggest problem, not problem, biggest positive is that there's so little free float, right? There's so much of Bitcoin that is lost, stolen, hodled, immovable. Um, and so the, the amount that turns over every day is, is, is a relatively small percentage of the total. And now, I think that dynamic changes as the price rises, right? If the price, not if, when the price goes parabolic, as I believe it will in this next cycle, as it does in every cycle, as, as you know, emotion and momentum and FOMO kick in around the halving. And, you know, there's all the discussion this past week, because I've been completely out of touch, but mostly out of touch. Um, I did see one story about predictions that, well, the big move comes after the halving. True, right? True. The period leading up to the halving is is volatile with an upward glide, but it's not the parabolic. The parabolic is after the halving, where the 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 price has to adjust because of of the mining rewards. Um, and there's some discussion. Well, the mining rewards might not have to change as much because now there are fees because of of ordinals and things. That's that's reasonable. I still think it's going to go parabolic. And when, and if this thing, not if, when BlackRock gets approved, that's a big demand driver. And I, I think the parabolic move this time will be, now I'm not saying a million dollars or, um, but it's funny, I guess Tim Draper was, is getting grief this week about uh, his 250K prediction that it's not going to happen before the end of the year. He's like, yeah, so I missed it. I mean, timing's hard. Um, and so someone pulled up and I guess mine is next year in in 2020 like by the end of 2024 i i i, I could see that happening i'm not guaranteeing anything and i'm not um but my logic for that was that was kind of halfway to gold equivalents that was five years out of what i thought would take 10 years and so i i still i still think that's definitely possible and if you think about we've talked about this each having is added to zero so we went from 100 to 1,000, 1,000 to 10,000. This is the 100,000 having, And you always get a surge above that. Previous surges have been roughly 2x, mm-hmm. you know, the, the fair value. Uh, and Tim, our buddy Tim Peterson, who I love, um, released a model right before I left, uh, which seems like 100 years ago, because it's just been glorious, um, that he said it was 55K. So we're way below fair value. Remember when he was on six months ago, seven months ago, whenever that was, mm. um, you know, basically uh, activity had collapsed and his model, which I love, it's really good, uh, had gotten all the way down to like high 20s, low 30s for fair value. And so he said, you know, we're kind of fair value-ish. And everybody's like, no, that's not right. And I go, just a model. I remember, I remember listening to that. Up. I remember listening to that thinking that sounded too low and here we are. <laughs> so, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. But you it's know, a- math is a funny thing, right? I mean, mm. math is good. I mean, again, to bring back, everything has to come back to vacation. So I went by an aqueduct, right? In, in Spain, that's been standing with no mortar, no grout, no cement, just stone on stone. 200 feet high, double arched aqueduct, 2,000 years. 2,000 years. How? How is it possible? We can't even build houses that last 
25 years. Math. That was math. That was, or this is crazy. I, I stood on the westernmost point of Europe, which is the, the Cape uh, outside of Lisbon, and looked out and you can see the horizon. You can see the earth curve, right? I mean, it's unbelievable. Imagine being a guy stepping on a ship and saying, yeah, let's just sail that way. Let's see what happens. Math, right? They could buy the stars. Now, they weren't perfect, right? Christopher ended up in America instead of India. And, you know, Vasco da Gama went to India and got super rich. I, I learned this is cool. A kilo of gold, right? Kilo of gold. Eight kilos of cinnamon. Equivalent. So if you had eight kilos of cinnamon or cloves or pepper, I think it was actually two kilos of pepper. Pepper was very rare. Uh, you could become super rich. So that's how Portugal, this is amazing. So Portugal said to Spain, you guys go west. We're going to go east. Because they had heard that there were spices in India. And that's why Portugal, from 1460 to like 1520-ish, was the most powerful country in the world, richest country in the world, had the most powerful navy, had the, you know, superpower. And since they had, had, had invented banking, they were compounding that wealth. Anyway, it was pretty cool. Yeah, there's a, the, uh, there's a, there's a cool story actually about, I forget if it's the Portuguese or the Spanish, but they, there's a great book called The Ascent of Money. If you want to nerd out about the history of precious metals currency or banking debt with the Medici's or even the history of equity, uh, Dutch East India Company, you, mm -hmm. you give this book a read. It's quite good. It goes all the way up to modern, modern, uh, what he, the last chapter is a book called, a chapter called, uh, Chimerica, which is this economic, uh, commingling in between the United States yep. and China. He actually went back, Niall Ferguson, the author, went back and wrote a, a chapter about Bitcoin. He came out and, when I first read it, I was like, I feel like this guy should support Bitcoin. And he actually, it turns out he actually does. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. But there's a very cool story about them finding this, this mountain of silver in, I believe it was South America. There's some specific yeah. name for this. And it actually ended up being a, you know, it was this crazy boon at the time, but it ended up being a little bit of a, of a curse because this, I think it was Portugal, the nation, they ended up having so much silver that they missed the idea of paper bank credit. Uh, and that was actually ultimately the form of money because really money is just a tool for social coordination and, and ended up being this, this gigantic curse. But I, I want, I want to bookend our, our conversation here just by saying, I agree with you. I think the, the spot Bitcoin ETF, when that eventually gets approved, it's going to be an absolute game changer. It's very difficult to predict the actual amount of flows yep. that that's going to generate. But yep. I mean, come on, this is a, a gigantic boon for, boon for the space. I, I want to move into macro land a little bit here and talk about the, uh, we got our FOMC minutes, the minutes from last June. Uh, I want to read you a quote here. There's, you know, I, I have a certain amount of hesitation. There's a new, there's a new word for, you know, this hawkish pause or dovish this or whatever. But hawkish this pause. is the hawkish pause. Is the 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 this is a a sort of paragraph that got pulled out. The economy was facing headwinds from tighter credit conditions, including higher interest rates for households and businesses, which would likely weigh on economic activity, hiring, and inflation, although the extent of these effects remains unchanged. Against this backdrop, and in consideration of the significant cumulative tightening in the stance of monetary policy and the lags with which policy affects economic activity and inflation, almost all participants judged that it would be acceptable to maintain the target range. Most of these participants observed that leaving the target range unchanged at this meeting would allow them more time to assess... However, some participants indicated that they favored raising the target range for federal funds rate 25 basis points at this meeting, uh, or that they could have supported such a proposal. So they, what they noted um, is that the labor market has remained very tight, momentum and economic activity has been stronger than earlier anticipated, and there are a few clear signs that inflation was on a path to return to the committee's 2% uh, objective over time. So I'm, I'm going to share my screen here briefly, but now the the uh, the market is expecting a 25 we had our our pause in june of last year but now the market is expecting another 25 basis point hike in july so what do you think about that mark is that was that within your expectation set is that ultimately surprising to you i mean 
do you think the Fed is doing the right thing here, or are you just scratching um, your head and wondering what are you guys doing hiking? No, look. Uh, yeah, so uh, again, I'll just I'll just go anecdotal. Um, it's busy out there. Mm. I mean, both places we've been, both Spain and Portugal, it's busy. I mean, it is people and the languages. There are people from everywhere. I mean. I'm shocked how many people from Australia uh, over here in Spain and Portugal, but then I learned there's some, some history with Portugal and Australia. Um, lots of Germans, but I guess this is where like Florida to Germany. So all the Germans come down here for the summer, um, but it's rocking. So the global economy is, is strong. I mean, it, it's strong. I mean, prices, um, I mean, it's not like, crazy prices, but it's not cheap. And it's, there's not a lot of stuff on sale. Like I went, I grew up with, with Lacoste shirts um, and, you know, a little alligator. And so I wanted to buy one and I went in the store like, what? I mean, normally they have these things for 110 euros and they were marked down 30%. I'm like, you know what? I came in here I wanted one. Fine, I'll, I'll buy it. That's like twice what I would normally pay for a shirt because I, I don't like to spend a lot of money. But um, but I, I don't think we're in anywhere close to recession. That I, I, I thought that, right? Six months ago when we talked, I really thought we were ebbing toward a, a recession. But but I don't see it. I mean, and I'm, I'm surprised by that, actually. I, I am surprised. And um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they raised. That, that doesn't seem like it's in the cards because inflation is definitely going back 2%. I think it'll be sub 2% by the end of the year because the commodity component will be gone and the lag effect of the owner's equivalent rent will start to ebb. So I, I, don't, I don't see why you'd want to raise more than than now, other than the reason that you always want to raise rates, which is to make the banks rich. So mm. if Jamie says raise the rates, they'll raise the rates. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's, I'm I'm kind of with you. I I think I actually I've got a so I think there's a more approximate cause for how they're thinking about it. There's the labor market tightness. So actually, I've got one more slide here on. So we had uh, ADP come in. Now, ADP is different from the jobs report. These things don't necessarily correlate on a month-over-month basis, although typically they do uh, tend to converge over a period of time. So, you know, we had a, a an ADP jobs report come in that was relatively hot. I mean, and hot. you can sort of you can sort of feel this. There, we've talked about it on the show that there's a little bit of a white collar recession, but in terms of blue collar, which is where all the jobs are that has still been a pretty resilient market for whatever reason. And, you know, we, people have asked, why did the Fed keep, keep QE on as long as they did when inflation, when CPI was heading towards 5%, what was the reason why they kept, kept their bond buying program, the MBS and treasuries for as long as they did? The answer was the labor market. They were looking at the most lagging indicator and it would make sense to me that they're doing the exact same thing here. So it just it would make it works on both sides, right? So I think that's that's probably one of the things they're looking at. You know, global bond market, global bond market's stinky in a technical term. You know, nobody wants U.S. bonds right now, mm. and nobody wants any bonds. So the central banks had to be the buyers of last resort. But as the economy recovered. Um, you know, we don't we don't need to run the same level of deficits. We're still running deficits because you know, corrupt politicians are going to spend, and they're everywhere, right? They're over on this side of the you know pond, and and you know back on back home. But um, I I do feel like that that absolute buyer of last resort, and you see that reflected in the number of of negative yielding bonds. That, that's gone, right? I think they're, they're all gone at this point. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of BlockWorks Research. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with our platform, but BlockWorks Research is the most blue chip spot to get research, data, governance, models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old, they can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. 
As a listener of On The Margin, and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin 10 for a 10% discount, and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code MARGIN10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank you later. Yeah. It's well that it, you know it's funny that you bring up the deficit. We had Lynn Alden on as an interview guest this week and she brought up this point which sort of resonates with me which is you know if you think about the source of money creation it's actually the desire from the government to spend money and that gets reflected in the deficit. We're still running 2 yeah. trillion dollar per year deficit. So how much can the Fed really do on the monetary side of things if fiscal just isn't cooperating or just walking in the opposite direction? And yeah. that kind of foots with me. That sort of makes sense. I mean, what do you think about that idea? No, you've been talking about that for months, way ahead of everybody. And I think that's exactly right. Right. I mean, fiscal and monetary have to be viewed together. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's hand in glove. I mean, you can't, can't look at one without the other. And yet people do all the time. Right. They think, oh, the Fed is all we have to watch or the central banks is all we have to watch. No, 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 no. You got to look at, um, you know, that was the other thing that I've noticed, lots of cranes over here, lots of construction. And um, you know, we did it, we did a tour of, of the Portuguese Riviera, um, this, this place called Cascais, where all the, um, see my Portuguese accent's pretty good, huh? Um, so. I was going to say. <laughs> just kidding. And, you know, it's, it's where, you know, Madonna used to go and um, Christian Louboutin uh, and Ronaldo is building a big house uh, in this one neighborhood right on the Atlantic. I mean, it's just absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, building a $35 million or building a house on a $35 million lot, just, just a, a lot. lot. Um, wow. And that is another thing. Football, holy moly. I mean, it's, it is like religion here. I mean, it, I, mm-hmm. I, I grew up playing soccer in the U S but it, it's nothing. I, I guess I just never experienced the football religion until the last couple of weeks. Holy moly. And Ronaldo, I mean, he's a God I mean, here in Portugal. He is a God. He he's, you know, bigger than Michael Jordan. And it's funny, my, my uh, tour guide, we had this debate and he agreed that, that Michael was probably superior at his sport than Ronaldo. Um, but he was grudging about it. Um, <laughs> but the the amount of wealth and construction um it's big and so and i think you you see that all over the world right now is there's this monetary this fiscal push there's there's spending that's happening um that's a, the other thing that i noticed here like ever been to chicago the roads are always under construction like yeah always i've never been to chicago and there weren't orange cones there are no orange cones here orange cones here mm. you know now not all the roads are great but the, the the new roads it's like it's like they came in the middle of the night and did the road and then left it's like i don't it's i don't know i don't know how they do it but um the infrastructure here is really good so that that was surprising to me too yeah I, 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 I don't have a great explanation for it other than other than that. Um, I, I still do think, you know, the tens and twos, they continue to be inverted. Yeah. The terminal rate is still, you know, I'm, let me see if I can pull up a chart here. But, you know, the terminal rate is still climbing very aggressively towards, I think it's at over, um, you know, five and a half percent now. The two year is doing the same thing. If you look at a chart, it's just under yeah. uh, 5.1%. And, you know, the, the 10 year is not doing much. So, it, it just, again, the, there are these two sort of conflicting ideas, which is well, maybe this actually is going to be a little bit more shallow. Maybe we're getting a little fiscal spending, which is offsetting the monetary damage. But generally, when the, the yield curve is this inverted and the, the, the policymakers are telling you that the economy is still too hot, it's, it's a little bit too early to get bullish, which sort of just makes me think we've got one, one more dive left in us here. You but know, I could just be wrong it's, about it's, that. No, I think I don't think it's wrong versus right. I I think I talk about this with with data on equities. You know, people talk about the the you know the return on equity or the the average PE ratio and they compare it to the last 25 years. I'm like, "No, 
that the early part of that data is polluted. It's just the, the 1996 to 2001 data is not useful for anything. It, it's polluted. And so I think, I think we have the same problem now. From 2009 to 2017, the data is polluted because yeah. we, we had this artificial period of zero rates for kind of the same reasons that Lynn talks about, you know, that they did it the first time at the end of the 30s in 1937 till the 1940s. And, and I just think to when, if we didn't have that perspective, it's like when people like my parents in the seventies and early eighties, when inflation spiked because Volcker made the mistake of double counting housing prices and interest rates. And people thought, you know, 21% for a mortgage was, was normal. And so when it went down to 14, they were like, oh, this is awesome. I'm like, no, 14 is bad. Um, I think we have the same problem. 5% interest rates are totally normal. Totally normal. That's how yeah, capitalism that's what I works. Think too. Yeah. That's how capitalism works. Zero is wrong. 14% is wrong. Zip five, that's how it works. So if we think of it from that perspective, we're we're neutral-ish, and yet people on the long end, uh, I was going to say people on the long end keep anticipating the downturn, but it's more than that. This is the Rob Arnott view. The reason long-term rates are staying lower than they should, meaning should, meaning based on the numbers, is demographics. There's too many old people. And I'm approaching that, right? I just turned 60 in a few years. I'll be in that, that, that you know, age. 65 to 85 year old people don't buy stocks. They just don't. They buy bonds. And the demand for bonds, it's also why the, the, the labor numbers are so wrong. They take people out of the workforce when they turn 65, which doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of people working. But that demand for bonds is pushing the long end down more more than would be normalized by economic activity, if you know what I mean. Mm. So even though the, the short-term rate is higher, that's actually rewarding the savers. So the older people who yeah. are saving, it's back to the, you know, the widows and orphans who wanted the high interest rates because they don't buy equities. They buy bonds. Yeah. What, what is, I mean, let me poke at that for a second though, because are sort of your mom and pop, uh, you know, older people the the marginal buyer of bonds these days, or is it central banks? I mean, if you look at any of these countries, the marginal buyers of central banks, like my, I thought it would be, you know, the 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 large, you know, the dealers kind of go out and they market make for the Fed, and then ultimately the Fed ends up buying a whole bunch of bonds back from the market. I mean, I that that to I, I me is like who is the marginal buyer I, I here? Think, I think if you look at the Yardini data. We are seeing QT. I didn't believe it was going to happen, but mm. I think all those lines have rolled over. Mm. And I think the Fed is actually a net seller and the ECB is a net seller and maybe not the People's Bank of China because they're they're increasing liquidity, but Bank of Japan, I, I could be wrong on the Bank of Japan too, but I, I feel like the ECB and the Fed our net sellers. And, and if it, we should look at that. Maybe we can look at that next week. Um, but I do feel like the, the incremental buyers of bonds, and if you look at the net inflows to mutual funds, I think despite the rise in interest rate, bond inflows have stayed hot, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think you might be right about that. So it, that's a that's just weird cocktail. That's not that me. That's that's Rob Arnott. Rob's been talking about this for actually for 15 years, predicting this was going to happen, and um, he's a mad genius. I love Rob. He's so funny. He's the only yeah. guy I know who has a bathtub shaped like a woman's shoe. <laughs> There's there has to be a backstory on that bathtub. Oh, there is. <laughs> I got I got to know what it backstory. is. He's got a big high heel and a slide, and it's Rob's. Rob's a wild man. He's a wild man. Nice. Excellent. Well, you know, and the, the last sort of story here that I wanted to get your perspective on is actually round trip a little bit to crypto and talk a little bit about Coinbase, because 
Coinbase in, in so many ways is the, it's the sort of grown up blue chip face of crypto in general. It's taken an enormous beating. The SEC, they issued their Wells notice against it many, many months ago now. They've come out and, uh, with an enforcement action, both operating as an unregistered broker dealer and the fact that their staking program constituted a security. And the Coinbase stock this year is really doing, going nowhere but up. No, and no, no, wait, you know, I, I have not looked at Coinbase stock for two weeks. Mm. That's the longest I've ever gone without looking at the price of stock. So I'm, I'm going to look at it right now. And holy moly. I mean, in the last two weeks, it's gone from 55 to 78, mm-hmm. despite all the things that, that you said. And year to date, as you said, it's up 121%. And I'm happy about that because I still own a decent amount in my, in our fund. Um, <laughs> and uh, good job, Brian. I appreciate that. Um, I think that's amazing. Yeah, I think so too. And the you know the if you only take a take a look at it from a surface level, it looks like it's not a particularly interesting stock buy. Right, the U.S. regulatory authorities are coming down. Yada yada, crypto's in the dumps, but. Coinbase's largest competitor from a volume standpoint is Binance. And there was at the same time that there was a, an enforcement action filed against Coinbase, there was a much worse enforcement action that got filed against Binance. Yep. I don't know if you saw the headline, but a couple of very key executives recently departed Binance yep. this week, allegedly yep. on based on CZ's response to how these uh, enforcement actions. That includes Patrick Hillman, who is his longtime Chief, uh, strategy, chief strategy officer. Mm-hmm. So these mm-hmm. were not insignificant hires that are departing. There's, I, f- I forget, there's a, one of these yeah, famous shorts guys, maybe it's the Porter Daniels. Uh, you know, it's one, it's one of those kind of big short type guys. Yeah. And they've got a series of Danny Moses is Danny Moses. And he's got a, you know, series of flags and they'll even throw it across their office. But that when a, C- a CFO leaves, that's one of the flags that they'll throw. Oh, out. This for is sure. not the CFO yeah, leaving, yeah. but yeah, it's definitely, down. you don't, you do not love to see exact top level executives uh, leaving at this time. All, all of it just says to me is it's a relative game for Coinbase at this point. If they emerge from this yep. down period with better market share than than they had going in, that's probably a pretty good spot yep. to be in for them. You know, the other, I actually ran into a guy right before I left that um, uh, used to work at, at Kraken. And he's yeah. still buddies with Jesse and they're kicking ass. I mean... <laughs> They are kicking ass very yeah. quietly. You know, they settled with the SEC, said, you know, fine, we won't we won't sell in the US and we'll just do our stuff. They are crushing it. And mm. um, I think quietly, to your point, Coinbase, Kraken, and there's probably a couple of others that have just said, you know what? We're gonna do it the right way. And now Coinbase has got to fight the fight because, you know. They got to fight the fight, and you know that that is that is what it is. But back to to the first story. In fact, the BlackRock picked them instead of somebody else, right? They didn't pick. Now the question is, well, who else are you going to pick? I mean, Coinbase owns the primo custody business that was Zappo that they bought in. I mean, it's the Fort Knox equivalent of of crypto custody. Um, so if you're BlackRock, you got to use them. And but that indicator of quality is is putting the SEC in a tough spot. I was like, well, if they're a good company and they're really and people say, but but they're running a shitcoin casino. Well, a priori, no. You hmm. had your chance to claim things were securities before you didn't do that. Now you want to do it ex post in a court of law. In a court of public opinion, that may work. In a court of law, I don't know. I I think I think Brian and team, pretty good case. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you there. What a good purchase that Zappo, that Zappo acquisition oh, was. So good. So yeah. good. And mm. I mean, well, I mean, imagine being, I mean, I can't imagine being as smart as um Oh shoot! Now I'm forgetting his name. The guy who started Zappo, the Argentinian. Wences. Um, Wences. Oh, Wences. Imagine being that smart and passionate, but he had the advantage, and he talks about it. He says, "I really wasn't that smart. I just saw my family lose money three times. 
from the government taking it all through devaluation. And I hear about this technology that can prevent that. I'm like, ooh. And I, I and now he did it and he built it and he and he had you know friends in, in the right places that that helped it. But I, I mean, talking about mad genius, I mean, just amazing. And that's probably the most excited I've ever been in my crypto journey was the first time I met him and listened to him speak and tell the origin story. I I was like, I've had this experience twice. So once, and again, I'm not really proud of it, but I was listening to Bill Clinton. I was like, I would go work for that man. I don't really like him. I don't really get anything he stands for, but man, most charismatic person I've ever heard in my life. And the second time was Wences. I was like, I'm going to go work with that guy because, I mean, so charismatic, so, but he's too handsome. I, I, I couldn't be around the guy so much. I mean, it's just, it's just so handsome. <laughs> yeah, I understand where you come from. He's a good looking man. He's a good looking man. Now, Mark, the, the other thing maybe that I that I wanted to conclude with you here on is just the timeline of all of it. So, you know, we're, we, we started this episode by talking about the BlackRock ETF. I want to throw a couple of dates out at you here because sometimes when you hear these, oh, they're filing for a, a spot ETF application, when is that going to be? There's, there are a series of, of deadlines. So the, the first um, time that the SEC is due at least an extension is August 12th. So that means technically we could get a, a, a spot ETF approved by mid-August. Now, that's not very likely. The SEC typically tends to extend these things. They have a couple of extension opportunities, 90 days, 60 days. But the final deadline is the end of February 2024, which is not really that far away. And of course, February is just a couple of months before the Bitcoin halving. And one thing I was going to say before is I've actually gone back and listened to some of the old podcasts that we did uh, during the the bull market, and I, I gotta at least put from from my part, put my hand up and say that was I was getting way too excited at, at the at the very peak of the bull market, and it's tempting, right? This is what everyone does: you get very excited during periods of euphoria, and then you get bearish now, and you, you sort of lower your expectations. But really, what you need to do is train your muscle memory to do the opposite, and you need to find a way to make yourself bullish. And this is the time, yep. even when there are not very many you know observable catalysts on the horizon to be more excited and bullish. Uh, and the, this is the time to have more outlandish predictions. And then, you know, in two years or three years or God God willing, whenever we get this bull market back, 100%. that's the time where we should maybe be throwing cold water on uh, some of the, the crazy speculative manias that end up happening at that point. But no, I'll, I'll I, I can't help myself. When, I'm a when nobody's optimistic. agreeing with you, when no one agrees with you, that's when you press the pedal to the metal, right? Yeah. I mean, because that's when you're usually right. When everybody agrees with you, throw cold water, right? Go take a shower yeah. and 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 cool down because it's already in the price. In fact, it's probably above the price. And so definitely this is the time to to be excited. And and look, the, the th- everything's coalescing. And you know, you 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 you, you so I've been immersed, literally immersed in history for for two weeks. And there are these inflection points where mm-hmm. things happen. And if one happened or two happened, we wouldn't read about it. it but when all three or four things happen together, um, you know, it's like Ferdinand and Isabella uh, and, and Christopher Columbus and, and the mistake and, and the, and I love this, right? She invented venture capital, right? She took 20% carried interest of, of his, his find so she was venture capitalist. And you think about these times in history. And you know, the thing I didn't realize, this, this is very cool. 1492, Christopher goes over and did you know that the horse is not native to North and South America? What? The horse is not native. So, and the tomato and the potato are not native to Europe. They're not from Italy. The potato's not from Ireland. They're from South America. The horse is from here. And the ships carried the horses and they carried back the potatoes and the tomatoes. And you think about Seville, Spain, was the center of the universe between the old world, Europe, and this new, hadn't been even discovered world, the Americas. I mean, the mind literally explodes. Cows, 
sheep, pigs, goats, none of them, not native to America. So, so our, you know, our image of the Native Americans riding horses, nope, not until the Spaniards brought them and the Portuguese. So I, I think what's happening now is this coalescing. You know, we've talked about the 1954, 68, 82, 96, 2010, 2024 is when the truth net, right? We go from the, you know, internet, mobile net, truth net, where we replace trust with truth. We go from the Knights Templar inventing banking, the Medicis to Bitcoin and, and, and blockchains being a better solution. That all happens in 2024. And now we've got this approval process potentially in 2024. We've got the halving in 2024. It could be such a big one. I mean, could be a 1492. Yeah, I hope so. I hope it is. All right, Mark, we got to wind up. You know what I like about that? Mm. It is like 1492 because we're going from the old world of financial services to the new world of financial services. All right. We got it. Yeah, You heard yeah, it first. Yeah. I think you might be right. You know, financial services is one of those industries where they're in technology. There's this turnover all the time and the, the average lifespan of a company is not particularly long. Financial services is one of these funny ones where you have these, especially European banks that are these dynastic multi-century banks and just doesn't, that, that's not very typical in, in other industries. So it'd be interesting if that ended up getting disrupted. So, um, all right, Mark, we can leave it there. Best hour of my week, my friend. I missed you these last couple of weeks. So, uh, I nice missed you, my friend. Too, so, I, I yeah. appreciate you allowing me to, uh, to uh, go rogue on you. And, uh, but good <laughs> to be back. And I'll be back in Chapel Hill next week. And uh, we'll do it again. Sounds good. See you then. 